Hello everybody and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Health and Sports Show. My name's Tom Butterfield and in this episode we're going to talk about the three most common causes of neck pain and we'll also touch on the best ways that we manage them in our clinic day to day. I've been spending quite a bit of time looking through and and answering questions in a variety of different Facebook groups of late. And it's clear that there's a lot of people out there who are confused, frustrated and concerned about their condition. The first step should always be to get a clear, solid diagnosis. And this is where the use of a well-trained clinician or therapist is very much needed. It's okay to ask other group members questions uh, and learn from their experiences. This is fantastic. But also bear in mind that everyone is different and every case is different. And just because it worked for someone or didn't work for someone, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be your outcome. So here we go. Let's have a look at the three most common causes of neck pain. If a joint stops working correctly, causing the joint dysfunction, then the brain will protect this area by causing local muscle spasm. This results in the neck uh, becoming stiff and you'll get pain if you try to move your neck past this now reduced range of motion. We've put together a YouTube video which explains joint dysfunction and how chiropractic manipulation works. So if you're interested in listening to that, um, then if you're on the podcast, it will be in the show notes. If you're watching it on YouTube, then we'll put a link to it up in one of these corners somewhere. But typical features of getting a joint dysfunction are a dull ache in the, uh, in the neck and reduced movement. It can radiate into the head or to the top of the shoulder blade. Pain can be aggravated by movement and improved with rest. Neck stiffness is, is pretty common, but movement can at times be normal. Tilting the head backwards or tilting towards the painful side and neck rotation can all be relatively painful movements. The neck will be tender when pressing over those joints and muscles on the uh, affected side of the neck. So if it's a left-sided neck issue, the left side will feel tender. If there's been no history of trauma, then we have no real need to take any form of imaging at this stage. So that would include things like x-ray and MRI, etc. Now, I know that clients love a scan, but in these cases where we feel the cause is from joint dysfunction, very rarely does it provide us with any extra information to change the treatment and management plan that we've got for that case. From a management perspective, uh, first of all, seek out a solid diagnosis, like we said earlier, from a trained professional. Don't be tempted to buy loads of gadgets off of Amazon or eBay or wherever uh, before you even know what the problem is. It's You're trying to throw stuff at a wall and see what sticks. (laughs) A typical treatment plan for a client with neck joint dysfunction would look a little bit like this. We'd do some soft tissue massage uh, to the neck and the shoulder muscles, all sort of across the upper quarter really. Some neck joint manipulation or mobilization to regain joint function. And once that function has been restored, we would start an exercise program to aid good posture and the efficient movement and function of the neck. The key is to reduce the risk of recurrence. You can use paracetamol or other medications if appropriate for that person. Ibuprofen might not be effective because 
there's rarely any inflammation with this kind of condition. Frequency of treatment is key as well. I would generally see a client with this type of problem uh, maybe a couple of times a week for a couple of weeks. So two treatments a week for two weeks in order to make some kind of sustained functional changes. Of course, this will differ from person to person. Now, number two condition are muscle strains or ligament sprains. Now, this can present in a very similar way to joint dysfunction, but there is going to be one major difference. And that's how the problem occurred in the first place. With a strain or a sprain, there will be a clear traumatic event that happened and the individual will experience pain immediately or very, very shortly after the trauma has occurred. In these cases, the first thing is to rule out any serious damage to the neck. The risk of serious injury increases with the severity or size of the trauma that's happened. If the neck feels unstable or you lose strength or sensation in any of your limbs, then it's probably best to get things checked out as soon as possible by a trained professional, whether that be in a clinic or a hospital setting. This might be a suitable time for x-rays or MRIs if the clinician feels that that's necessary to rule out any nasty problems. But once serious injury has been ruled out, the client can be more confident in moving their neck without causing any further injury. This reassurance is really, really important and it's the first step really in managing this type of neck problem. Muscles and ligaments take time to heal and the length of time will depend upon the severity of the damage, so the size of the trauma. It could be anything from a couple of weeks to several months. But we'd expect a slow, fairly linear, gradual improvement over those first few weeks. But once the client is able, I would then recommend starting a treatment plan that's very similar to that for a neck joint dysfunction. And condition number three is cervical spondylosis. Now this is very common in the C5 to C7 levels, in the lower neck especially. The discs dehydrate naturally over time, which fun fact is one of the reasons why we become a little bit shorter as we get older. But when the disc dehydrates, it flattens, causing the facet joints to be under greater pressure, so they get closer together. And it also reduces the space for the nerve to pass through, which then increases the risk of both joint dysfunction and nerve irritation or entrapment, both of which can cause pain of some kind. There'll often be an absence of trauma, as this is a condition that will progress very slowly over decades in some cases. Commonly, clients will report having a dull aching pain, their pain improves with warmth or heat and activity. It's worse with prolonged extension of the neck, so looking up. It's usually one-sided, but it can be both sides in some cases, and it can refer into the head, the arms, or into the shoulder blade. It could wake you up from sleep with pain or numbness into the arm, for example. And the joints would be tender on palpation around that neck area and restricted movement of the neck is quite common. Now, are x-rays useful with this sort of condition? Spondylosis is very common in anybody over the age of 50, but not everybody over the age of 50 gets neck pain. Therefore, we have to assume that spondylosis on its own doesn't always cause neck pain. 
So in clients suspecting of having spondylosis, I wouldn't bother referring for x-rays or MRIs until they had uh, multi-level neurological symptoms, so involve more than one nerve level. If they had suspicion of pressure onto the spinal cord, we'd refer, and perhaps if they weren't showing the expected improvement with treatment like we think. And last but not least, uh, if their condition was getting worse or deteriorating in some way. But treatment in these cases can be slightly different to a simple joint dysfunction. I would probably start with a simple neck traction to try and decompress the joints of the neck and probably mix in a little bit of soft tissue massage along the way. That might be enough to start providing some kind of relief. However, we've always got joint manipulation or mobilization techniques in our back pocket if we need to. In those clients that don't improve, we could either refer for imaging or we could refer to another clinician of some kind to see if that would help. So there you have it. These are the three most common causes of neck pain that I certainly see in my day-to-day -day clinic over the last 15 years. But the key takeaways for you are, number one, to get diagnosed by a well-trained professional. Number two is that x-rays and MRIs are rarely needed in routine cases. And number three, that treatment is a process, not an event. You know, don't expect an instant fix. So make sure you talk through your expectations with your therapist and make sure that you're both uh, sort of on the same page and aligned with each other. But thank you for listening or watching if you're watching on YouTube. And I hope that you found it useful and it answered at least some of your questions. But if you do have any further questions, uh, either get in contact with us on info at elevatehealthuk.com or you can leave a comment on one of the YouTube videos or leave it in a review for the podcast episode. Um, I can't tell you how happy I am when I get them and I'm more than happy to answer them for you. And uh, we really want to try and help as many of you as possible make some kind of progress with your condition. Reviewing and sharing the episode would be fantastic, much appreciated, and please do subscribe to both our podcast and YouTube channels. It really, really does help, and I hope you get value from it. So until next time, we'll see you soon. Bye now.